It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. Sarah Holland from the left. And Beth Silvers from the right. And welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. Thanks for listening. Um, We have a lot of new listeners over the last few weeks because of some love that iTunes gave us. And, uh, you know, obviously because we're really great and everybody wants to join in in our conversation. Only half kidding there. Um, But we are excited to have new listeners. And I also wanted to make sure and say um, that you can find us on Facebook at Pantsuit Politic and Twitter at Pantsuit Politic. So there's no S because Twitter sort of mean limits your characters. And I've had this happen twice with little projects. I get cut off right at the last character. So on Twitter, we're just Pantsuit Politic. No S. So before we get started, Sarah... I have to know how your Christmas pudding that you told us about in a previous podcast turned out. Okay, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it was the most amazing thing ever. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound hyperbolic at all. I mean, I saw your little Instagram video. It looked pretty impressive. It was amazing. We lit it on fire. Okay, so it would have been cool enough because, you know, I made it. It came out. It didn't crumble. We lit it on fire. We had the whole moment. But on top of everything else... It was delicious. Remind me again how long you steamed it. Seven hours. Yeah, that seems 
I mean, that seems hyperbolic. Yeah. Well, and that's not even the first, like you soak the fruit and you're supposed to do brandy, uh, but I did bourbon, which is probably why mine was extra delicious. And so I soaked the fruit in the bourbon for like a while, like several days. And then I mixed it all up into the pudding and steamed it for seven hours. And then it soaked for like three, three and a half weeks. Then you steam it again and take it out and then you light it on fire. And we also made brandy butter, which yum, and had that on top of it. And it just was really good. Just legitimately tasted great. Like I was super, I mean, the, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, it has beef fat in it. And ingredients in the process are a little intimidating. You're like, okay, is this just a tradition thing? I mean, either way, I wanted to do it because I wanted to, I've read a lot of Harry Potter. I keep wanting to do a pudding. Christmas seems like a good time. But, I mean, I wanted to do it because the process is cool and there's, you know, all this tradition and you get to light it on fire. Should I point that out again? But also, it just really was good. It was great. Highly well, recommend I, it. I like that you committed to it and mm-hmm. saw it through. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, it was great. I highly recommend a Christmas pudding for anyone out there on the fence for next year. Get your, You have to get a special pudding basin, so you might want to go ahead and order that. So less exciting to me as we move into the pearls this week is that we have to talk about Donald Trump again. It's I don't driving want to. me crazy. I don't want to. You can't make me. I'm just going to mute my microphone. I can't take it anymore. But we have to talk about your girl at the same time. Oh, now that's okay. So last week in Michigan on the campaign trail, Donald Trump, surprise, said some controversial and sexist things. I think they're sexist. I don't even know they're so strange. So one of them, I think this is really interesting because you know it's intentional. Donald Trump keeps talking about Hillary Clinton's, quote, strength and stamina or lack thereof. Those (laughs) words to me are, are one, not applicable to Hillary Clinton at all Mm -hmm. when you're talking about a lack of them. So I think that's weird. And you know, I'm no Hillary fan, Yeah, but like strength and stamina, really? Did he miss the part where she testified for 11 hours in one day? He must've missed that part. Where she was secretary of state or where she endured, you know, all kinds of media scrutiny while she was married to Bill Clinton. I don't know. So anyway, while he was talking about that, he made the comment, and I can't even believe that I have to say this word out loud. (laughs) It's not a word. That in 2008, she got schlonged. I mean, he kind of made the word up, right? I don't even know. I mean, I guess it has a Yiddish meaning. Schlong is a word. Making turn it into a verb, I think, was something he invented. But I could be wrong. And now the whole country is going around saying this. I, it's just like, what is life? That's where I am right now. <laughs> um, and so I'm not really even sure what his point is that she just that she's not up for it because she got beat. Is that the issue? Is that the point he's trying to make? I guess so. Because, you know, he he has historically gone after people for being losers for any number of reasons, right? This takes me back to John McCain isn't a war hero because he was caught as a prisoner of war, right? And that is Trump MO. Right. Okay, so let's go through the rest of his garbage, and then I want to hear what you think about especially one particular piece of this. So also he referred to, um, and we talked about this in our last episode, how Hillary Clinton was late coming back from a commercial break during the ABC debate. And he said he knew why she was late, and it was too disgusting to talk about. One, 
all of America knew why she was late getting back from the, like, I don't think anybody is like, wait, what was she, you know, was she launching nuclear codes? No, she went to the bathroom and they started without her, you know? And I don't know why that's disgusting. But anyway, so he made that comment. Um, so then Hillary Clinton is asked about all of this and she says that she's not surprised because Donald Trump has demonstrated a penchant for sexism. So a Trump spokeswoman like makes all these like not even very veiled threats about how Hillary doesn't want to play the woman card. Um, and then Donald Trump starts saying that she is playing the woman card left and right. And then he goes into how she should not have Bill Clinton campaign for her since he has demonstrated a penchant for sexism. And this is where I'm going to stop talking and say, go, Sarah. (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, one of my favorite things I read about the woman card was Jezebel was like, um, everyone wasn't aware she was a woman. Oh, but yeah, she definitely needs to pay that woman card, which is worth 78.6% of what it would be worth for a man to play. I mean, what? I saw that too. <laughs> I mean, what do you think that gets her, even if you're talk- playing the woman card? Because women are so well represented in Congress and the Oval Office where we've never had a female president. I'm not sure what that gets you. Also, you get to play whatever cards you want. Thank you very much. That's how it works. That's what campaigning is. In fact, if anybody is playing is playing the card of card playing itself, it's Donald Trump. He'll say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. I don't know why anybody else can't do the same. Also, it's sexist because uh, I don't even know where to start with him sometimes with the woman card. And especially the, the threat as if people didn't like, what are you going to do? It, it was, it was like, it was very like menacing in a way it was menacing I and i don't get that. what that's about and i it, it feels if you're menacing someone about pointing out they're a woman i mean there's a whole deep dark tunnel you can go to and even if you don't mean it aren't you triggering or creating an environment in which people are saying awful sexually violent things about hillary clinton more awfully sexually violent things than they probably already do like i don't i mean i I would go into this big thing about how we should elevate the discussion, but we're talking about Donald Trump. Well, that's the one thing that I will say. I think that what he has said about Hillary Clinton is disgusting and wrong, and I hate it. And I think it is unworthy of someone who's running for president of the United States. Okay, putting all that in a box. If I worked for Hillary Clinton... I would just say, we're not going to talk about this. This Mm -hmm. is beneath us. We're not going to get into this kind of verbal knife fight with Donald Trump because he will go as low. He will, he will redefine low. Mm -hmm. Anytime you think you find a floor with him, he's going to be like, no. Do you remember the friends episode where, um, Rachel talked about like being at rock bottom, she thought, and then she realized, no, there's rock bottom 50 feet of crap. And then me, <laughs> I feel like that's what Donald Trump constantly does, right? Well, Just... and also to, I forgot my second thing. The Bill, the Bill Clinton is worse argument really wears me out. And I feel like it's a thing conservative media does pretty regularly. I remember reading several things when Bill Cosby accusers started stepping forward and they were like, oh, well, the left is all fired up about Bill Cosby, but what about Bill Clinton? And I'm like, what about Bill Clinton? Like, I just, first of all, 
pot kettle, you, pot, you know, you're the pot calling the kettle black is a logical fallacy. It doesn't matter if I'm black, if you're black. It doesn't matter. Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. If you're sexist just because somebody else is sexist, it don't, it's like they cancel each other out and all of a sudden you're not sexist anymore. So that's my first problem with the, well, what about Bill Clinton? Bill Clinton has a penchant for sexism. And two, I just really, really, I mean, do we really need to get into this with Bill Clinton again? Is Bill Clinton a deeply flawed human being? Yep. But does he, was he going around either drugging people or openly insulting other candidates? I mean, I don't know. I just, and also I, I feel like if you're going to talk about people's past marital problems, I, I also don't think that's a, where Donald Trump wants to go either. The man is three times divorced. Wait, three times or two times? Three times, right? I think the point is that none of it matters, though. Yeah. Because he, he, I mean, he called himself the Hemingway of 140 characters. He better than anyone understands that you can just kind of wave a shiny object. Look over here. Oh, wait, I've got a new one. Look over there. And it doesn't have to go anywhere. And it doesn't have to be a chain of logical thought that has any bearing at all on who people should cast a vote for. He's just winning every news cycle. And I think if I worked for Hillary Clinton, I would say, well, he's not going to win a news cycle on my dime. Right. Right. He, if he wants to engage, he can go engage with somebody else. I'm not doing it. Right. And I think she was. I mean, for the most part, I feel like she she tries desperately to blow him off and is like, well, I'm not surprised. This is how he is. I think she tries. I don't think her people try. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I feel not as strongly, but I kind of have the same sentiment about her people that I have about Jeb Bush's people. I just think they don't do them any favors, you Mm -hmm. know, but they're both too professional. Yeah. There's too much expertise. And it doesn't serve either of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and she got into a mess with that whole Abuela thing. Did you see that? Oh, and the Kwanzaa logo? Yeah. What are they doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that... I can... I, I totally understand how that stuff gets put out there. And it's, and I'm, I mean, it's not like her staff. I mean, I have friends who are... Latina who work for that staff and I'm, it's not like I'm sure that there's not a discussion and they feel like, Oh, she does. I mean, I can see, I can even envision where it's like somebody, she really does mind me and my abuela. And then it just spirals into there before you know it. And people are like, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. You know? So I don't know. When I was in high school, I was in this um, puppet show randomly about environmental cleanliness. And like we did this whole thing about clean air and all the puppets were different chemicals. And it was like this really great, funny discussion. We did it in elementary schools all over the state. And it was a wonderfully written show. And by the time we finished doing it, it was like a crap sandwich, I think, because (laughs) we had all performed it so many times that we started doing all this weird like improvisation and all these inside jokes It just, it became our thing instead of a thing that was about the people seeing it for the first time. I feel like that's what happens inside the Clinton and Bush campaigns right now. These people are just, they're just in this little bubble and it's so insular that nobody stops and says, hey, wait a second, that is going to look ridiculous. Well, and I think that's a problem 
I mean, look, it happens in any kind of massive social media presence, whether it's a political campaign or a corporate campaign or a mm-hmm. personal celebrity campaign. That's the problem with social media is when you're trying to be spontaneous and you're trying to play on the moment. I mean, you really can't put everything to a vote or you will lose good content. You know what I mean? Like, you know, groupthink does not create a great Twitter campaign. But at the same time, you do run the risk of going too far sometimes. Personally, I think it's inevitable. I think it's a risk to be taken. And as long as you handle it well, then that's all that matters. So I think it's, I guess I think it's worth it because you really can't, they can't be voting and being hyper professional up against somebody like Donald Trump, especially Jeb Bush. You know, like he can't, it needs to be personal. I guess what your argument is, it needs to be personal to the candidate and not personal to the candidate's staff. And the thing is, I guess Trump is good at that as feeling, even if it's not coming from him, it sure feels like it. That's why everything lands from him because you think, yeah, he said that. He said it. He meant it. Nobody coached him through this. I mean, I would rather Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush make more mistakes that are authentic mistakes to them than these things that you're just like, like the Snapchat joke from Hillary Clinton. I mean, for ill-advised for a number of reasons, but the biggest one is just, that doesn't sound like her. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you said is, you know, when you're trying to be spontaneous, I understand that all these people are competing in a digital environment that they never would have imagined Mm -hmm. even five years ago. I get that. I think that calls for a process improvement though. Like maybe you've got to, in a digital way, have more people who are always sort of on the outside of your campaign to vet these things. And I hear what you're saying. It's got to be fast. It can't all go through committee. It can't be too slick, but it does seem like you need somebody to do a little bit of a, just a check before you put out some, I mean like that Kwanzaa logo, like they could have called either one of us and we would have been like, nope, mm mm-mm. And no. obviously, Hillary can call me. Hillary, you can call me anytime. And Jeff, anytime. I, I'm here for you if you'd like. If you'd like me to be. I mean, we just. <laughs> and 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 like so are hundreds of thousands of other people who could have called out some of these errors, right? Right. Who could just say, "Hey, I'm a regular person. I'm going to put my hand up and tell you that I don't like that, and that feels artificial to me. So stop." Right. But, and, and so I guess that takes us back to this is Trump's gift. He avoids mm-hmm. that stuff. He makes all kinds of rampant mistakes that don't hurt him in any way at all. And I think it's because it all comes from this really genuine place. We and can because, genuinely not like it. And because I'm an eternal from. optimist, I believe that these skills might be great at winning media cycles. And they might even be great at God save us winning a primary, but a great Twitter campaign being the Hemingway of 140 characters does not make you president. Right. So it just doesn't, it doesn't make a successful presidential campaign. And that sure as heck wouldn't make a successful white house. So, I mean, I just don't know where this is going, but yeah, I mean, I've read this week two opposing things and their themes and everything that I've read about Trump, which unfortunately is a lot <laughs> um, but so one is this idea of like, well, does a Trump supporter convert to a Trump voter? Yeah. Especially in a place like Iowa. I was going to say, don't you have to, don't you have to, you know, qualify with where we're talking about? That's the thing. When you have to show up for hours, right? It's not right. like you just go cast your ballot. So 
does that happen? So then there's, so, so you read that and you feel like, oh, maybe his support is overstated because it, it is more consumer support instead of voter support. Oh, okay. On the other hand, I'm reading things about how his support in the polls is understated because so many people don't want to self-identify to someone else as a Trump supporter, but they really are. I read that. I don't believe that. I read that. that they put that editorial in our local paper today and I was reading it and I don't buy it. Because I think that pollsters, I mean, they're good at their jobs for a reason, right? Like, well, I guess in Kentucky we shouldn't talk about pollsters being good at their jobs. But considering our governor's race. Yeah, but I do I think that, I, I think they have ways around that. I think that... I'm not sure I buy the idea of a shameful Trump supporter because it's such, you know, because of his brand. If you're identifying with that brand at all of telling the truth and bluster and, you know what I mean? Like, why would you be ashamed? You know what I mean? If that if that connects with you at all, why would you be ashamed of it? I don't know. I don't know what to believe about any of this, because if anyone had described to me how the past six months would have unfolded, I would have said, like, that's funny (laughs) but there's no way I mean I just so I don't know what to believe I don't know what to predict I think it's just like I'm just gonna sit in front of my television and my computer um, with my mouth hanging open I think through all the primaries I just think I'm not gonna know what's gonna happen until it happens and that's that's how it's gonna be and I guess there's something interesting about that it's also very frightening to me (laughs) so so we'll see Um, well, I think that's enough time given to, I mean, God knows the universe doesn't need more time devoted to Donald Trump. So we'll just move on to a very different topic. Um, in the suit, we're going to talk about things that did not make us outraged this year. Okay, so Sarah, I think we're kind of getting in the Wayback Machine a little bit to talk about how this podcast came to be. Yes, you had been guest posting on my blog. We'd been set, I guess, since I started Bluegrass Redhead a couple years ago. You posted, we had a back and forth about Syria and we talked about um, uh, birth. And there's a couple, you had a really good one about how you hate Snow White, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. But uh, one, you wrote me and you said, I'm really over all this Facebook outrage and I would like to write a post about nuance. And you literally had read my mind. I'd had a, I'd been swimming around in this idea for a couple of weeks and thinking like, I want to say something about this. What exactly do I want to say? And then I didn't have to write it cause you wrote it for me. It was great. And so when you wrote that, I said, okay, so this is bigger to me than just one post. I think we might have something here. I've been playing with the idea of a political podcast. What if we had, a nuanced political podcast, which I think that we we do. Um, and that's how Pantsuit Politics was born. So I think from the beginning, we have been about looking at issues as issues instead of as vehicles for outrage. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this idea for a post for your blog because I was on maternity leave and, and, you know, I found the end of the internet about every day. Um, (laughs) and I just kept seeing that like, it did not matter what the story of the day was. People were mad about it. And it wasn't just that people were mad about it. 
they were mad about other people's anger. It was mm-hmm. like secondary and tertiary outrage. Yeah. And it almost felt to me like our whole point of being on social media has become just being like a bunch of Yosemite Sams, you know, <laughs> clicking away at our keyboard. And it's so true that so often it's just like one during the Starbucks coffee controversy yeah. that we've all blocked from our minds because then Paris happened and totally erased the controversy from the map. But during that, my Facebook feed was only full of people outraged by the outrage. And I thought, well, who is actually outraged? Because all I've got is people outraged by the outrage over the red coffee mug. I I saw the same thing. And I actually read a really great blog post about, um, and I guess this was like a third level of outrage in some ways, because the person was saying, you know, sometimes the story is manufactured to generate that second degree of outrage mm-hmm. in a way that makes the first degree outrage people seem a lot bigger and more pervasive. Right. And to throw kind of a whole group of people in the Starbucks case, Christians just sort of under the bus when actually most Christians really could care less about the color of their cup, you know? Right. So, so since it's the end of the year, um, instead of doing like a top 10 list or, you know, something that references the election again and all of its craziness, because I've seen a lot of good stuff out there about that. We thought we would just walk back through some of the biggest outrage stories of the year and talk about why we are not, in fact, outraged about them. Um, starting because we're shy and don't like to dive into difficult issues <laughs> with Caitlyn Jenner. And specifically her... Um... I don't want to feel like winning is the right word. Receiving the Arthur Ashe Award at the is the, the ESPYS, right? Is that right? right. First and, of all, no one. I'm any people, even the people mostly outraged about this, don't care about the Arthur Ashe Award at the ESPY Awards. They don't watch them. They probably couldn't list past recipients. No, I think what they don't care got people all worked up about this was just the use of the word brave. It was like putting Caitlyn Jenner in the same sentence with courage or bravery. I don't know. It just set off this firestorm. Well, and there was a, there was a false meme, right? Like somebody said, like somebody said the, the, the final, the final, you know, the finalists basically um, were the girl, the, the high school basketball player who had brain cancer and then a, like a, a Vietnam, a Vietnam, an uh, Iraqi war vet who'd lost limbs and become and became a major athlete or something like that. Like that got put out there as like this is who Caitlyn Jenner beat out, and ESPN was basically like, no, that's not what happened, because there's actually another award at the ceremony, right? I don't even know because to your point, I don't care about Fair. this, and I don't think most people who were posting about it care about it. Well, I think that. The reason I wasn't outraged either way is, I mean, it was a big, big year for trans rights. And so I think you could probably argue that with all these things we're going to talk about, people funneled all their outrage into really stupid controversies. Or maybe Mm. outrage isn't the right word. I think they funnel their fear into stupid controversies. Right? So I think... You know, with trans rights growing and things changing, 
um, with how we view gender and how we think about gender. It makes people really uncomfortable. And so, and because Caitlyn Jenner became the face of that in 2015, this Arthur Ashe Award, uh, even though people don't care year to year, it's not like, you know, this, it's not like the Nobel Peace Prize and it really matters who wins it. That was an easy thing to attach to. That was an easy thing to say, how dare they, you know? Well, that's a really good point, and I hadn't thought about it that way, but that makes me think about all of the weird outrage over Target no longer classifying toys in a gendered way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did not understand at all how someone could have a complaint about it. I mean, who cares? I just don't understand. But but if you're saying that just sort of the overall cultural shift Mm -hmm. um, led people to channel into these kind of weird... You know, it's not about what it's really about. That makes sense to me. And that's, I mean, with Target, I mean, I can tell you, I just wrote a piece called um, Why I'm Raising My Sons Like Daughters that got picked up by Huffington Post. And the comments were intense, man, because to say things like, I'll I'll let my little girls be, or my little boys be girly. I'll let my little boys wear nail polish. Like, it touches something to people. You know, messing with gender roles makes people really uncomfortable. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes um, is from Bell Hooks, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but she says, it's easier to think differently about the race of people across town than it is to think differently about the person across the table from you every night at dinner. So I just think when you get to gender, it just brings up a lot of things. It makes people really uncomfortable. And that's why I would argue Brave can mean a lot of things, and when you're stepping into an arena of something that people take as personal as gender, then you are being brave. But that doesn't change the fact that I don't think the Arthur Ashe Award... I mean, it's not unimportant, but it's certainly not, you know, worthy of the level of outrage people expressed over her winning it. Well, I guess the other thing that I feel about this is that a word is not only a vehicle for comparison. And I feel like that's what happened with this idea of bravery because I saw all these memes of like, this is what bravery looks like. And it would be a soldier, you know, cancer patient or, or whatever. And of course those people are brave. brave. It's not like we have a finite amount to pass out. It's not like we only get so many people to classify as brave and then we're out. Like it doesn't work like that. Or, or that we have to qualify, like, it can be a spectrum, right? I mean, right. this is something I said in the post. Like, I don't say to somebody who runs for political office, hey, that's brave. But I mean, not brave like a soldier brave. Just like right. a little bit brave. <laughs> that's rude. I mean, I <laughs> That's just mean. I just don't. That's not how we need to relate to each other. I feel like everybody understands that a term can encompass... A, a huge variety of things. It's just, it's okay to say that it's, it, it is brave to announce to the world when you have been a decorated Olympic athlete mm-hmm. celebrated for your masculinity to come out and say, no, I'm a woman. That is brave. That is brave. And we don't need to put that bravery in any context because it's not our story. Right. I think that's a big thing. It's not our story. It's exactly. her story. The and, end. And it doesn't make anybody else less brave. Yes, it does not. It doesn't, detri- again, not a finite amount. 
handing the qualification of bravery to her does not, you know, universally subtract what brave means. But maybe people feel like that. Maybe they think, well, that makes, it's lessening what brave means. But maybe you're thinking about this all wrong instead of, and maybe thinking that it's time for you to expand what brave means to you. I've just never believed that uplifting one person diminishes another. Absolutely. In any context. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I land. And that's why I'm not outraged on any level about this. I just don't understand it. And I think, you know, this isn't really, I guess this is a political topic. What makes it more political to me, instead of just kind of an interesting cultural phenomenon, is that the way we reacted to Caitlyn Jenner, I think, is such a study in how we talk about every issue right now. You are for it or against Mm -hmm. it. And that's just, this is not a thing to be for or against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's her. It's she is who she is. Like, it's not, your stance on it doesn't matter. That's right. (laughs) We're not putting it to a vote. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel about it. Well, so kind of continuing with the theme of I don't need to be outraged and and someone's recognition of one thing doesn't diminish something else. And we've touched on this, but the entire Black Lives Matter movement, um, boys, just solicited just levels and levels and levels of outrage in response Mm -hmm. to the movement. Now, I don't question at all the outrage black communities and all communities should feel about some of the senseless deaths that have taken place this year. No, absolutely. Well-placed outrage. That's see, that's an appropriate use of outrage of righteous anger right there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. So what I do question is being outraged about the outrage of others and about the way others channel that outrage, you know? And and I feel so frustrated because with regards to Black Lives Matter, I talked about this on my wish list. I really wish people would understand that it's not just a hashtag to throw up to kind of incite, you know, anger or frustration or whatever, that it's an actual movement with an actual, you know, it's got a website, go visit it if you want to learn more and understand what you're actually outraged about. I wish I could take a poll of everyone outraged about Black Lives Matter and see how many people have actually read their website. But I think that, again, though, it's same with Caitlyn Jenner. We are having real discussions in this country about racism in a way that is the first time I've ever witnessed something like this in my lifetime. I've never, I've never felt or seen this depth of discussion about race. And so people, I think, can't be open about the fact that I'm scared and afraid and angry about all these things changing with regards to race. And so they say, well, hashtag, you know, Black Lives Matter is ridiculous. You know, so they channel all that outrage and all that fear about things shifting into this movement, which has become the face for this, this conversation that we really need to have. We do really need to have it. We also, I think, need to recognize that my perception of Black Lives Matter is not that it is anti-law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we, so same thing. Just as I don't think we diminish people by uplifting others, I also don't think we diminish people by calling out others. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that it takes anything away from the countless um, law enforcement officers who serve admirably every single day to say, 
among all of these people, there are a few bad actors. And there are also some institutionalized issues. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it goes bigger than a few bad actors, but... I agree with that, but that it, that's institutionalized issues to me is not an indictment of people who are out there trying to do their job every right. day. Just as, just as like institutionalized racism in our society, to, I don't take, I can recognize that as a white person, I benefit from that, contribute to it in ways I'm not even aware of. And I, and I can say that without feeling like, oh my gosh, I should be wrecked with guilt every day. Right. That's not productive either. That doesn't help anything. Mm-mm. So so tell me what I can do to fix it, right? What can I learn? How can I do better? That's well, what we're saying. Why are we against doing better? That's This is exactly, this is the point I was going to make. Why, explain to me why you would be opposed to improving law, law enforcement's effectiveness. Explain to me why you would be opposed to, to having officers be better trained and more enlightened and better at de-escalating conflict and, you know, better at understanding the ways that stereotypes and racism affect how they do their jobs. Like, why would you be, don't you think that would make everybody's interaction with law enforcement better? I do. I want to be, and I want to interact when I get pulled over for, a speeding ticket or when my teenage my sons grow up and they're teenagers and they're acting like teenagers sometimes do I want them to encounter an officer that's been well trained in de-escalation and awareness and the humanity of people I mean like I want that why would you not want that I also want for our police officers who are not bad actors but who have not been adequately trained I don't want them to have to live with the horrific experience of having caused another person's death. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't think all these people are bad actors. I do mm-hmm. think some of no, it's institutionalized. I, I, agree. I agree. Right. And I can't imagine living with that. I just, it, you know, so I, we got to have some compassion about all of this. Mm-hmm. And what well, that's the thing. I wish that we could just change that trigger that, takes us immediately to being for or against or mad about things right now and and first go back to Brene Brown's sort of I'm going to start by assuming everybody's doing their best Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to have some compassion for that position well and it's just a lack a lack of humanity like you know there is an intense undercurrent I don't even want to call it an undercurrent a plain old current of anger running through the black community with regards to black lives matter. And like I said at the beginning, it's well-deserved. They, you know, they deserve, I would be angry. I am angry and I'm white that they have to, you know, as the mother of three sons, the thought of training my sons to keep your hand, don't put your hands in your pockets. Don't wear a hoodie. Watch where you go because you're afraid they're going to get killed. Like that makes me angry and I don't have black sons, but I have sons. And so I have the smallest amount of empathy and compassion for that. And so, but I don't think just because a community feels hurt and anger, the default needs to be defensiveness and, you know, minimizing how they feel like that doesn't take the discussion anywhere. Like that's just psychology one-on-one, you say, I hear you. I want to understand where you're coming from. I mean, that's speaking of the basis of this podcast. Like, that's the point. We just want to understand, not meet with anger and shut down. Like, what does that help anything? 
Well, because the other basis of our podcast is when you do that, when you listen and you try to understand nine times out of 10, you're going to find more commonality than difference. Mm -hmm. So if we all sit down, like let's all sit down at our big virtual table, the people who are, are the all lives matter segment versus the black lives matter segment, you know, I think, I think we would all like agree that we don't want anyone dying who doesn't have to die, right? right? We don't want any senseless death. Mm-hmm. We don't want any mistrust of our law enforcement community. Mm-hmm. We want people to understand one another. We want community policing. We want engagement. Like we might have different language about how we describe those things. And we might have different ideas about how to get there. But I think the outcomes we would all agree on. And I don't know why, I don't know why we have to go immediately to our difference and just get entrenched there and put up a flag and say, this is where I am. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I also thought my cousin told me over Christmas break, which I thought was really funny. She was in a debate about Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter thing. And she said, I feel like it's like going into a breast cancer fundraiser and protesting, colon cancer matters. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Really? No, not, not, it's not moving the conversation forward. Well, that's, I mean, on a much lighter note, the next thing we were going to touch on is um, when the story about Cecil the Lion came out and the dentist Poor who, who Cecil killed Cecil the Lion. And so... We can say that without um, simultaneously exhibiting callousness about all other sad things. Well, and it's just, I don't really understand making the point of, I'm so sad. In the same way, I don't understand about, you know, I hate the loss of life in abortion clinics, so I'm going to kill people that work there. (laughs) I don't understand the, I'm sad about the loss of a lion, so I'm going to, you know, send death threats to the person who killed them. Like, I just... I totally agree. I'm super confused by that line of reasoning, which I don't really think is reasoning. I think it's just emotion. But, um, you know, I think big game hunting is super weird. It's really not something I understand at all. It totally skeezes me out. But I really don't think that necessitates a lack of humanity towards the people who engage in big game hunting. Like, I don't, it would, people got real mad about that. Well, two things. So people got really mad about that. And the second thing is people got really mad about anybody who was sad about Cecil dying because they were (laughs) like, you don't care about anything real. You know, like you you're all outraged over this lion. What about poverty? What? I mean, it was just bizarre to me. That's so true. That's like the there were there were like four or five. I feel like there was an an outrage exchange with Cecil the lion. Like it went back and forth like several to several levels of outrage. I'm mad about Cecil. I'm mad that you're mad about Cecil. Well, I'm mad that you're so mad about Cecil that you sent death threats. Well, I'm so mad. You know, like it was just it kept going. It kept Slow. going. And for nothing good. So if Cecil, so one, I think we could have just said Cecil doesn't have to represent anything. We we can just be bummed about this. I was bummed. Cecil was pretty. I was super. And he was like a big deal there. He wasn't, he had a name. Like he was part of the community. And the second thing is if Cecil is going to represent something, then let's not make it about this particular dentist, as you were just saying. Let's talk about whether here in 2015... We want to have a world where people from developed wealthy nations go to 
Africa and kill for sport some of Earth's most magnificent creatures. Right. I'm not sure that's what we want. Right. Now, and well, I and- can say that without expressing an opinion about whether my uncle should be able to shoot a deer. Two right. different things, right? Or whether we should have guns in our country or whatever. Like, yeah. I feel like Cecil is a good embodiment of how we just have all these false equivalencies swirling around every topic. Well, into the, you can't be sad about Cecil because worse things are happening. I don't quote Dr. Phil often. In fact, I try never to quote Dr. Phil. <laughs> However... I once heard Dr. Phil say this, and I use it all the time. If you are laying in bed with a broken leg and the person next to you is laying in bed in a, bed in a coma, it does not make your leg unbroken. Okay? Like, just because worse things are happening doesn't make your thing bad. Just because children die of hunger doesn't make it not sad that Cecil died. Like, again, I, I kind of go back to this. Not a finite amount of sadness to pass out. We can all feel empathy and sadness and compassion for living creatures. And even the dentist that killed Cecil for getting death threats. Like, I'm not going to run out. I've got plenty of compassion and empathy. So there's really no need to act like this is a math equation. That's a pretty good line from Dr. Phil. It is. See, I told you. I don't. I'll just confess something. I don't quote Dr. Phil very often either. Probably not ever out loud. But I do with some regularity, look at myself and say, how's that working for you? How's that work? Oh, I totally use that one too. I use that one a lot. It's a good one. Hey, listen, he didn't get to be, he didn't like come into Oprah's life on nothing. You know what I mean? He's earned his money. I mean, I think he's earned his money. I mean, I think that he, again, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not going to claim he's always done the best with his platform. But I think he built that platform fairly. I'll give him that. We'll put him on the list. I don't have any fight with Dr. Phil. (laughs) That's right. You know what? You do you, Dr. Phil. Love Sarah and Beth. Okay, we're going to talk about your girl again. It's Hillary Clinton Day here on Fancy Politics. my favorite kind of day. But we got to talk about her email for a second. And the levels and layers of outrage on her email. Mm Mm-hmm. So... What I felt the most kind of defensive about, and I'll admit that I felt defensive about it, and I've been trying to sort of work through that. I might need a little Dr. Phil time on this, actually, (laughs) is I don't think it is unacceptable for me to have concerns about this email issue um, because I'm a woman. Like, I don't think I don't think it is um, like a feminist proposition for me to just say, well, she gets a pass on this. Because I'm a woman, so I'm giving I'm giving another woman a pass on something that I think is problematic. Yeah. Now, do I think it's disqualifying? Do I think it's illegal? You know, no. But I don't like it. It yeah. makes me worry. I want her to understand technology. I don't want her saying things like, what, did I wipe my server with a cloth? I mean, I don't think that's amusing. <laughs> you know, I think that's highly problematic in the world that we live in today. And, and I get that she was trying to be, you know, I, I don't want to litigate that whole thing. But you, you know what I'm saying? I just, it, it, I felt like there was such an onslaught of sort of defense of her and like any woman attacking her was, you know, should, should turn in her woman card to go back to that awful expression. I don't know. It just bothers me. Similarly, I don't know that this is something that people need to equate everything else that happens with either. Right. Here's my, here, speaking Hillary Clinton outrage. Here's my biggest beef with 
with a with really any general Hillary Clinton outrage. You can take issue. Listen, it's a free country. You can take issue with whatever you want with Hillary Clinton. But what really bothers me is the jump to conspiracy level motive motives with Hillary Clinton. It can't just be she made a mistake or it can't just be she didn't really understand the technology or my argument, which is, you know, the Clintons have really terrible time in a certain way because I feel like the landscape shifts underneath their feet pretty often, like to, to send back way back to the beginning of the podcast with Bill Clinton and his um, unfortunate history with women. I really feel, I mean, this is a man that looked up to John F. Kennedy and I think he thought he was playing by one set of rules and then all of a sudden the rules changed. So I think that's kind of what happened with her. I mean, I don't think George Bush had email. I'm pretty sure he didn't. I think I read that and I don't think Colin Powell did either. Like did not have it. And all of a sudden, so she has email. They haven't really figured out how that works and what the rules are. And then all of a sudden, by the time her term is over and she's running for president, it's this extra level, not just should you have email or should you not, but how you use the email. Like, I feel like the the landscape shifts on them a lot. And so, but there can't ever be with Hillary Clinton, I feel like, when people are upset about something she did, it it just jumps immediately to this conspirator- conspiratorial level of outrage. She did this. She's hiding something. She is a you know power hungry. This is all about her. I'm like, even with like you know, Benghazi, it goes there. She wanted those people killed. Why? That doesn't even make sense. Like if you think she's this power hungry person trying to get to the White House. Wouldn't, wouldn't she be paying closer attention to this stuff? Like, she just messed up. She messes up. She's a human being. Not that that, you know, not that people often see her as that. But that's what bugs me about the emails and any level of Hillary Clinton outrage is that it, it just so often jumps to this, you know, ascribing, like, she's like a movie character. Like, she's a movie villain. It's so ridiculous. The landscape shifting point is a really good one because I was a big John McCain supporter when he ran for president, and I still um, really like John McCain. Yeah, I like John McCain, too. I really like him. Um, That said, it scared me to hear John McCain talk about how he doesn't use email when this story came out because I thought, wow. Like, should we really have people running our country who don't use email now? Well, don't, don't you remember when Barack Obama came in? It was like a big deal about whether he was going to keep his BlackBerry and his personal email and what were they going to do? I mean, I think really this, this like kind of what you're talking about, if we need to look at the bigger picture here, it's instead of deciding that Hillary Clinton is an evil villain trying to hide, ugh. Who knows what people think she's trying to hide at this point. But maybe we should just say, hey, look, there seems to be a problem here with government officials and emails and the changing technology and how it it affects the executive branch. Because that seems to be the issue to me. Yeah. And let's fix that. Yeah. And and let us also have some questions, some tough questions um, from journalists and in debate settings about candidates understanding of technology. I mean, Mm -hmm. I want a president who understands cybersecurity. I do. And the trouble with Hillary for me politically on this topic is that it is very, I don't think she was nefariously setting up that Mm -hmm. server. I don't. However, I do think she's smarter than this. I, I mean, I, it's, 
She is so competent in every way. It's really difficult for me to buy this sort of, well, I don't really understand the technology business. What about, how about Chelsea? Chelsea, where are you at? This is your job. This is what we all do for our parents. And Well, and also, I just think if I'm Hillary Clinton and I know I want to be the president of the United States and I've studied up on everything I've ever wanted to master and mastered it, just master this one, too. Yeah. Figure it out. Like yeah. once you start getting questions, sit down with someone and say, take me to school on how this works. And I'm going to mm-hmm. go out and I'm going to say to people at the time, I did not have this information. Here is what I now understand. And here is how I'll handle this when I'm in the executive branch again, the end. Yeah, that's right? really, that needs to be what she says. It's like, this is what I didn't understand now, but this is, or then, but this is what I understand now moving forward. And I've learned a valuable lesson. I mean, that's the takeaway. Don't blow it off. Don't act like it's not serious because it is serious. And you can say, I don't believe this was as serious at the time as it is today. And right. I understand with the benefit of hindsight, why this scares people so substantially. And it's going to be a priority in my administration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go the other way now and talk about the Iran deal Super and serious. how I think that um, the outrage on the Republican side was kind of insane. Like, <laughs> okay, and I'll start with, I don't have a really strong opinion about the Iran deal because I recognize the extreme depths of my own ignorance about lots of factors that influence what's going on here. I mean, I, I always feel that way about the Middle East, you know? Yeah. I try to educate myself, but I also think that I need, like, 10 more years of college just on the Middle East to really be entitled to much of an opinion. You well, know, it's just I so always complex. feel like this. I, with regards to the, the Randall, I don't, again, also don't put myself out as a foreign policy expert, but I don't think you need to be to understand we need as many allies in that region as we can get and for a long time in foreign policy history, you know, World War II, further back, your allies aren't, I mean, I don't, it's not a 100%. It's not a zero tolerance situation when you're creating allies in foreign policy. It's not you are me and we agree on everything and that's why we're allies. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, I don't need a degree in foreign policy to understand that. That in human relations and especially something as big as foreign policy, you know, you take what you take and you work with it. You don't wait until they're perfect. Well, and look, on my very superficial level of understanding, I do have problems with this. I do have concerns about it. I'm not sure it's a good idea. However, I don't believe this is your point about Hillary, I think. I don't question President Obama's intent mm-hmm. in trying to strike this deal. I don't believe that President Obama wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon. I don't. I we I can disagree about the wisdom of diplomacy versus sanctions versus whatever. Um, I, I, I'm not going to disagree a whole lot about those things because I don't feel informed enough to do that. And I think that's another thing that maybe we should spread around a little bit. Like, can we all, before we get all entrenched, kind of say, what do I know and what do I not know? And can I have a fully baked opinion about this when I've heard you know, two minutes and 30 seconds on the radio as I was driving to Kroger. You know, or so I've I think, just seen, you know, a Facebook graphic doesn't right. make you informed. Right. So, so there's that aspect. But the other thing is like, maybe, maybe I know everything there is to know. I can have a fully baked opinion. And my opinion is that I don't like this and I don't think it's a good idea. 
that to me is a very different discussion than Mike Huckabee talking about how President Obama is marching people to the oven with this deal. I mean, I just thought that was the most horrific thing to say. It made my stomach turn, Mm -hmm. you know? What, What is the point of that kind of language? Also... Um, it's just really, I don't know the word I want, gross to use the Holocaust for cheap political points. And both sides can be guilty of this. Stop doing it. Don't do that. Like, you can make an, if you really want to make an extreme point, which is unnecessary in this case is sort of what we're getting at. You don't need the Holocaust to do it. Just don't do that. Just stop doing that. Well, and I feel like to... I'm so glad I was going to get, I'm going to um, get to tell the story. I was hoping it would fit in somewhere. So one of the first times <laughs> I ever went to Washington, D.C., um, I was, I was with, I was at a, um, an American association of a women. Oh, what is it? It's the American association of college women graduates. I don't have the acronym right. Anyway, that's where I was. And it was really great. I'm at, I'm at Gloria Stein and I, Steinem and I cried, cried, cried. It was a, it was a great event. But so I'm walking around with two of my friends from the conference, and one of my friends has a a canvas bag that says C-SPAN on it. And this girl comes up to her and says, "Oh, are you an intern at C-SPAN?" This girl is also our age, early twenties, right out of college. And my friend says, "Um, no." And the girl says, "Because I'm here, I'm interning for the Republican." national committee and my friend giggles and says well you're gonna love the other side of my bag and she flips her bag around and it says new york democrat new york state democratic party real big and so they kind of start having a little big a little back and forth this was post 9-11 right as the um, war on terror was beginning and i don't really even know how we got on the the topic of that i mean i guess because we were just we're both you know how dc is it's like you sit down you pick up your starbucks and you're talking about foreign policy so it just kind of, they kind of got chitter-chattering about it. We, she followed us onto the Metro. We kept talking. And at some point, we were talking about the war on terror. And I said, well, I'm not really sure how I feel about, you know, going into Iraq and about the war on terror. That's all I said. I'm not sure how I feel about it. And she looked at me. Girlfriend did not know my last name and said, that's because you hate America. What? I was like, excuse me? Do you know my middle name? Do you know my last name? Do you know anything about me? And you're assuming because I have a differing point than you that I hate America. Right on the on the metro. Like, what? I'll never forget it. That's because wow. you hate America. And I just, I didn't have any stomach for it then, and I don't have any stomach for it now. The idea that the other side is trying to destroy the fabric of America, and they're unpatriotic, and they hate this country, and everything it stands for, I just have such a low tolerance for it. Well, I mean, I guess the one thing you can say about that is, like, she said it to your face, right, instead of <laughs> hiding behind a keyboard. But That's true. I'm, because I do feel like, you know, the Internet just gives people all of this courage to, to say things they would never look someone in the face and say, but, you know, maybe they would. I mean, I, I mean, can't imagine just saying, hey, you Yeah, it's because you hate America. Really? Come on. Well, and that's where, and I don't mean to, like, go down this rabbit hole too much. Maybe I will just a little bit. Tiny <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, I read this great observation from Michael Smirkanish about how 
the conservative party is being defined by conservative celebrities, not by conservative voters. Yeah, I thought that was good. I oh my gosh, that. I read that and I was like light bulbs all over the place. Yes, that is what is happening. And I think that I don't know why that's happening so much more in the conservative party than in the in, in the Republican party than the Democratic party. But I think that's exactly it. And I mean, because you that that woman did not on her own decide that you hate America because of your opposition to the Iraq war. Right. And I don't think my Facebook friends come to their own conclusions about how liberals are trying to destroy the country. I just don't think that's original thought. No. You know? Well, and I just want to say with regards to conservative media, I mean, there's money on the table, right? There's a lot of money on the table when you talk about these conservative celebrities and their book deals and their radio shows. And so just take a step back and think when they're spouting all this hate, are they really doing it because they want to protect America? Or is my cynical side saying maybe there's a little bit more going on there, right? They make a lot of money creating that kind of situation and getting paid to speak and writing books and, you know, I don't know. It just makes me so sad. I don't think it's necessary. And I think that truthfully, I think that's part of what people are reacting to with us is they feel like there's a conservative voice. That's not, well, you disagree with me. So you hate America. Yeah. It kind of hurt and also made me smile to see a review that said that having a moderate Republican (laughs) is like a unicorn. Um, you know, it and it does hurt. It does kind of hurt me to think about if the motive is money to have so many people out there sort of selling patriotism, doing the least patriotic things I can think of. Oh, true. Well, and here's the thing, too, Beth. Though, don't you feel like I feel like the Republican Party right now, with regards to like Donald Trump and some of the situation, I feel like there was a little bit. And I'm not talking about voters. I'm talking about party leaders. There was a little bit of a deal made with the devil and a little bit of we want to win. And if that means we have to bring in ideologues and extreme beliefs to motivate people to vote and to motivate people to come out for us and to tap that fear and to tap that, you know, these these triggers that we're talking about with this outrage, then we'll do it. And now they're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind, Freedom Caucus. That's not what we meant. Never mind, Donald Trump. That's not what we meant. Do you feel like that? Am I being too cynical? I think about that a lot. Um, I have conflicting views because then I go back to if my guiding principle is giving people the benefit of the doubt, right? It's hard for me to go there. So there's a piece of me that thinks. Well, not with party leaders, though. Is it, though? Party leaders' job is to win. That's not cynical. That's their job, right? Yeah, I want a redefinition of that. So (laughs) a a thing I was thinking about today, I mean, I I get it. Like, real world, you got to win to govern. I'm there. Okay, I I understand. I'm not trying to be Pollyannish. Right. Um, I want conservative leadership to win on the basis of our ideas, though, because I think our ideas are good ideas. And that's part of why I'm so excited about reading the selfie vote. And just side note, like the best thing ever 
has happened to me in that the author of the selfie vote, Kristen Solstice Anderson, has agreed to come on our show. So I hope everyone will read her book and talk to us about it. And with her in a couple of weeks, I'm having a fangirl moment about that. But anyway, (laughs) um, you know, she's talking about millennials and how they're changing the electorate. And I don't want to get too much into that. But I think that conservative leadership can be about ideas, not about fear. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, so I retweeted this wonderful article, I don't know if you saw it, um, about a couple of people with an idea to deal with hunger and um, the tremendous food waste in our country. And so um, they set up like this technological platform to allow restaurants and stores to get food to shelters before the food expires, right? Um it's, it's like an exchange of food surplus That's to awesome. get it to places where it can actually be impactful. And I thought, like, this is an example, I think, of how we all want the same things, right? If we all, again, sit down at our big virtual kitchen table, you and I would say, I don't want people to be hungry. And I don't want to waste resources, right? We mm-hmm. would both agree on those things. Now, my perspective is that perhaps... Um, legislation is not the way to resolve those problems, but a program like this could be. And your perspective might be, no, government can do better, and here's how. Fine. Now we have something to talk about, though, because we've agreed on what we desire as an outcome. I'm I'm willing to just give them a grant if I'm in charge. I'll just give them a government grant to develop their platform. And so we can talk about that all day long, right? Instead of starting from... Well, Beth is a conservative, so she clearly doesn't care about hungry people. In fact, right. she wants people to be hungry so that she can be wealthier, right? <laughs> like, that's the image that gets out. And then Sarah, you know, just wants Beth to give take it out away. her... She, Beth, she wants Beth to take out her checkbook right now that's and right. feed all those hungry people mm. herself. You know, like, that's not where we are. So I'm getting... I know I'm getting, like, far afield of our topic, but but it all ties together in I my think it mind. Does. Absolutely. That that we're 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 just getting so entrenched and so mad about things, and I think the conservative media has played a larger role in that. And then I think we have some reactionary liberal media. Although I'll I'll confess again, I watch MSNBC a lot. It annoys me sometimes, you know, but I don't think it goes as far as some of what is being said on the right. And it just tears me up because I, I I believe in my party and its ideals. And I don't believe that it's being fairly representative represented by the people who are supposed to be. It's, it's mouthpieces right now. Well, I'll just say Republican party, me, me at camera three, you need to put more Beth Silver's in charge and less Carl Rove's in charge. Cause I think that, you got people more like Carl Rove that I mean I, I I'm gonna, I'm going to be real honest I don't think Carl Rove is driven by ideas I think Carl Rove's driven by winning and those changes I mean when you when you make the deals to get that and you redraw district lines and you do these things you end up with poor Paul Ryan stuck with the Freedom Caucus trying to figure out what's going on so I love the book Primary Colors and I love the movie that was made of it did you watch that. I, oh gosh, it's been years. I mean, I've watched it like a million times and I love the moment when 
um, Kathy Bates is saying, is that her name, Kathy Bates? Is yeah. That right? Yeah. Yeah. So she's saying, you know, our job is to make it clean because when it's clean, we win because our ideas are better. Mm-hmm. And it always makes me choked up. I don't know why, but, and, and she's talking to basically Bill Clinton in that moment. But like, I always think that like our yep. ideas are better. That's that. so, okay. Enough about, you know, Mike Huckabee and Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, We'll move on, I guess, moving on like an inch over to our last topic that did not outrage us in 2015, which was the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage. And I have to say, like, I celebrated this. Um, but let me take a step back and think about people who disagree with me. I, I, I don't understand um, the outrage about this decision, even if you believe that gay marriage is wrong. I don't understand a conservative thinking that the federal government or any state government dictating the relationships you can enter into in your life Mm -hmm. is a good thing. I just don't get that. The other thing I want to say about this, though, and I'm very curious about your reaction, I think the secondary outrage, so the indignation on the part of liberals who are not part of the LGBT community. So let me make that very important carve out. I think the secondary outrage of people who are initially outraged about this, I understand it. I don't think it's helpful. I think it widens the gap. What is that fair? Well, I mean, I, the, what I would make the, the clarification is the reason that LGBT co- the community has made so min- so much progress in such a short amount of time is, I think, you know, and I'm not the first one to make this argument, because everybody has somebody close to them that's gay. And the more gay people that came out, the more they realized, oh, I have somebody close to me that's gay. So when you say, well, a liberal that's not in the LGBT community, yeah, but their son might be or their best friend might be or their so it feels very personal. When somebody says homosexuality is a sin, even if you are not homosexual, right? Well, that's totally fair. And right. I, I, do, I do feel a sense of um, passion about this on behalf of others. So, and that's so you're thing. right. You know, I try very hard to be understanding about religious issues because I grew up in a very conservative Baptist community and I used to hold these beliefs. I used to, um, you know... One of my greatest regrets in life is that I spent many of my high school years telling one of my best friends why homosexuality was wrong and they were struggling with homosexuality. I mean, that is a huge regret for me. That is a big, heavy thing I carry around. And there's no way I don't bring that to discussions about the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage, right? I'm bringing all that with me. And it's really important to me that people understand how harmful that stuff is because I did it. And I think that... You know, I say when I look back at my religious past, I can I can understand certain things. I can understand abortion. That's a hard one. It's a hard one. And we're going to do an episode on that coming up. It's it's just it's a hard one. But and I can go back to that space and stand in where I was and understand where people are coming from. But I'm going to be real honest. I can't do that with homosexuality. I have a lot of trouble understanding why you would think that that is a choice or that you would think it is. I mean, I, I just feel like the understanding of homosexuality has come so far and I really don't have any patience 
for the, you know, antiquated views of it, especially with regards to, like you said, like, to me, it's not even about like, if, okay, if you're opposed to government getting involved in your, your bedroom, basically, yeah, clearly conservatives should have a problem with that. But also, I just kind of feel like we don't really use what's a sin and what's not as this grand governing principle with regards to our legislation. Like, the Bible has things to say about touching pigskin, and the Bible has things, to, lots of things to say about alcohol. We still let people drink, you know? So I just don't understand why you think, like, the, what this is where we should start from is what the Bible says about things, and that's how what we're going to use as our governing principle. Again, I understand, just like I understand with Caitlyn Jenner and with Black Lives Matter, that really these, these quote-unquote, surface level controversies, although I guess I wouldn't call, obviously wouldn't call the Supreme Court making gay marriage legal surface controversy, but I understand that they're touching on something much bigger and our society has shifted its opinions on gay marriage dramatically and quickly. And that makes people uncomfortable. But, you know, at a certain point I was talking to a local politician the other day and he said, he wasn't talking about gay marriage. He was talking about something else. But he said it was an, it's an it's a an idea whose time has come. And I thought, what a great way to put something. You know, like if you're not okay with it, can you recognize that it's an idea whose time has come and just kind of say, you know, just leave it at that. Okay, I don't feel the way everybody else does, so I might need to let this go. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better? 
our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, and I think it circles back to the theme throughout this discussion, which is my mar- even if I don't believe in some kind of spiritual or universal validity to gay marriage. I I do. But if uh, let's say I don't, my marriage is not diminished by someone else's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing about this hurts me. This is not my story. I don't have to decide if it's a choice or not a choice. It's none of my business. Right. You know, and it just doesn't impact me. And the fact that my child might interact with a child whose family looks different than mine, that's going to happen all around me anyway. You know, it just, it, it doesn't matter. And I, I don't know why we, I I agree with you. If you are against, if, if you are against the position of the majority of the country on this one at this point, that's okay. I'll, I'll respect your right to believe it, even though I do not understand it at all as a person of faith, as a person of conservative principle. I don't get it from either perspective, but you can have that opinion. Just keep it to yourself, man. Word. I mean, there are bigger things. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Well, and not just keep it to yourself, but I kind of don't, and I think this is the thread running through a lot of these discussions too. Two things. One, can we just expand our vision of quote unquote America a little bit? Because I feel like a lot of the outrage running through these discussions is this very, very limited perspective of what America means with this white father and white mother and 2.5 kids who live in the live in the suburbs or middle America. Like, let's just, can we make a little bit of space for something that looks different than that? That's okay. That's a great thing about America. That's what we are. That's what we are. We spend time making everybody else, you know, let's think differently about it. And we're not great at it all the time, but you know, we do, we push, let's push it just a little bit. Let's just push the needle. Let's keep pushing the needle. I think we end up in better spaces when we push the needle a little bit. And the second thing I think I was just realizing that runs through a lot of this theme of outrage and lack of nuance is really people are not comfortable saying, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Or I don't know anything about that. I don't know. And it's such a hard thing for people to say. And I'm, I mean, I'm like that, although now I kind of take pride in saying, I don't know. I don't know the answer, you know? And it's it's weirdly empowering in a way when you just say, 
I don't have to be in charge of fixing this or solving this or, you know, arguing that I'm absolutely correct. I can say, oh, that's a good point. I don't know how that shifts how I think about that. Like, that's okay. I th- I think it's liberating. I, I agree with you. I think it's liberating to say I don't know and to be comfortable with ambiguity mm-hmm. and to be able to just kind of sit in. And this is where, I mean, not to get religious or anything, but like when you're talking about things from a perspective of faith, isn't that the whole deal to be able to just stand in the midst of the universe and say, gosh, there's a lot that I can't wrap my brain around. Well, my new favorite quote is, um, I heard Elizabeth Gilbert say this, that grace takes you place, hustle can't. So mm. just stop hustling. Allow a little grace in your life and in, in your political opinions. Yes. Yes. Well, so we've got to give each other some grace in the next much lighter segment in the heels. We're going to talk about something where I'm not sure we can come together on this one, Sarah, but we'll see. So in the heels today, we're going to talk about something that affects us all. It's a very controversial issue. Soap versus body wash. And we have staked out our territories. On this yeah, and one. I feel strongly. I feel real strong. I feel pretty strongly, too. And I, I you know, so let, let us start with the fact that we both want to be clean. Right? There's a area of commonality. Well, are there days <laughs> that I wake up and I think, oh, I don't want to take a shower. Yeah, there are. There definitely are. Okay, you're a soap girl. Yes. Yes, Tell us I'm about soap. This. Bar Defin- soap, right? Bar, bar soap. That's what we're talking soap. about. Bar soap. So, and I think when I finally shifted was probably maybe two years ago. What really, you know, shifted me over completely. I think I'd gone back and forth a couple times, and then I got those. I got one of those Lafco bars. Have you seen these? They were on Oprah's favorite things list. No, I haven't. There, I mean, this bar of soap is the size. It, it's real big. It's this. I'm trying to think of something comparable, and all I can think of are like obscure little boy toys that no one will understand but me. <laughs> um, like maybe like um, no, it's not quite that. I can't think. Maybe it's like a a big Coke can. I mean, it's big. And it lasts forever. It lasts months and months and months. And so I just realized at the end of it, after using it for so I got it um, from, I think I got it in a, in a quarterly box, which we should go in a quarterly one time because it's a really cool company. But it was, I love the smell. I love the soap. And I just feel like with soap, um, it doesn't dry my skin out as much because I'm just going to be honest. I'm not like scrubbing my arms with the soap. Because my arms aren't that dirty. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not a let's scrub every inch of my skin. I just don't. I'm going oh, to. I don't okay. do that. And so I just hit the important part. <laughs> and so uh, that's why I like soap. That's part of the reason I like soap. So I don't feel like, you know, in order to use it well, I have to like put it on the sponge and put it everywhere. And I don't, so I don't feel like it dries my skin out because my skin gets crazy dry, especially in the winter. And also important, I'm super lazy about lotion. So I also feel like it's last a lot longer. So I feel like it's more effective. It doesn't dry my skin out. It's lasts a lot longer. So it's more affordable, like a better, 
uh, bang for your buck. And I just don't feel like I'm washing as many chemicals down the drain into our water supply, generally. Like, I just feel like it's, with bot, with, with, um, body wash, there's just so many chemicals to get it to stay like that, to get it to stay in this emulsified kind of quantity. I'm not a big fan of all the ingredients in body wash, whereas soap, I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, we have this really, I'm going to give them a little plug. We have a little great soap company in Paducah called, I think it's the Farmer's Daughter Soap Company, and I just went, she's like activated charcoal soap for your face, and all these different essential oils and it, you know, it smells great. It lasts a long time. And it's just real simple. Like she could tell you exactly what's in there and you can pronounce them and spell them. So I just, that's it. That's the broad. That was a lot of reasons to support soap. I feel like I've spent way too much time thinking about this, but that's my stake. That's my, that's my position. I'm sticking to it. Well, you know, I'm a body wash girl because I just like it. <laughs> I don't have this well thought out opinion about it. I like how it looks. I like how it smells. I like that it doesn't get little bubbles on it that sort of harden into something like with soap. I always feel like my bar of soap is not clean anymore. <laughs> I know that's ridiculous. And and I have just given myself permission to not be logical about this. Everything you said okay, about but body you, wash is true. You don't do the stuff with the beads in it, though, right? Cause I do really... not do the beads. Okay, so we all need to agree not to use the beads. No beads. That Didn't we just a... get some, like, regulation about that anyway? I think I there was some so. regulation recently about the beads. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that needs to be a bipartisan issue on the beads. It's, the beads are a problem. But I just, I just like body wash, but I will say, so I use all kinds of products with chemicals in them that I cannot pronounce that I'm sure are terrible for me. It's not that I don't care about it. It's kind of that I have decided I cannot make that a priority today. Like someday I'll get around to that, you know, but I'm knocking other things off the list first. And so here's just... my approach to that though. I think I th- I'm going to sh- I'm going to push you a little bit and shift your thinking, hopefully. So I felt the same way. Like, I can't, I just can't go through and check every ingredient and figure out which is the best and kill myself over this. Like, I don't have time for that. But I really do think it's an issue. And I really, I mean, somebody told me the other day, it's like, since World War II, there's been 40,000 chemicals invented or something crazy. And it's not very well regulated by the government. Like, you know, we know some of these things are harmful, but there's not a lot of regulation as far as what you can eat. Anyway. I mean, I'm not a crazy person about this stuff, but I do think it's important, particularly when it comes to my kids and to me. And so what I do is instead of killing myself to make sure I'm like using the most best, safest, greatest product ever, I just try to use less products. So like three years ago, I, instead of killing myself to like go find the best face soap, my friend said she uses olive oil and castor oil and it works really well. So I started doing it. It works really well. That's what I use. So that's one thing off the list. I don't use face soap. And then I did the soap and then I started using cream cleanser and then I cut out, you know, like I just slowly but surely cut down what I used. And that way I feel like I'm, you know, also simultaneously being exposed to less stuff. I mean, I hear you. (laughs) I'll listen respectfully, but like, I'm just not, (laughs) I'm not there today. I do though. I do want to do a little plug also because our, um, one of our, fellow friends from college has started her own company. Have you seen this? No. AJ Apothecary? No. So she has this wonderful Facebook page. I bought a ton of her stuff as Christmas gifts. And I'll be honest, like, so it's all handmade of stuff that is like in the kitchen and essential oils, right? Yeah. I don't care about that at all. 
Um, <laughs> but I bought it because I wanted to support her. And I have to say that I love it. And I love it just because I enjoy it. Like sometimes I think when you get, so when you say like, I want things to be all natural, you're willing to sacrifice a certain feel or something because, because of that, yeah. this is the opposite experience. It is so luxurious and want, I just enjoy it. And you know what I particularly enjoy is her deodorant. Oh, see, I need it's, deodorant. That's next on my list to kind of really... Okay, I'm going to check that out. It's wonderful. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to give away any of her stuff, although it's just printed right there on the labels, but she puts lime essential oil in her deodorant and it's just super fresh. It's really unusual. I just like it a lot. And, and I'm happy as a byproduct, you know, that I'm, that I've got one less toxic thing in my life, I guess. But more than that, I just think it's great. And I think what she's doing is super cool. So AJ Apothecary, you should check it out. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Well, thank you all for joining us. I hope that, you know, you, you have staked out your soap versus body wash position and feel enriched by that. I really feel like we should ask on our Facebook page. Oh, I like that. We're going to, let's put it out there. Let's, let's, let's get real about this. Let's get some real nuanced positions on bath versus body soap. I want to hear it. And I would particularly love to hear from people who could go either way. Yeah. That would open my eyes. Let's get this going around the kitchen table, the, the virtual kitchen table. So it's just such an honor that people listen. I have to pinch myself every time we hear from somebody who's like not related to us because <laughs> I think it is so amazing that people are listening and connecting with us. And the more that we hear from you, I think the more motivated we are to just work really hard at this and try to make it something special. So thank you all. Absolutely. Thank you. And um, again, if you have a few minutes, please, please give us a ranking on iTunes. That would be so fantastic. We would be so appreciative. We also uh, owe the eternal thanks to my husband, Nicholas Holland, our executive producer. Lastly, as we are always saying, and it, it always sounds super wordy in a weird way to end the podcast. Maybe we'll figure out something better. But our intro interstitial and outdoor music is Fourth and Starlight Road, instrumental by Minden, and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 license. So thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next week. In 2016. <gasps> yes, in 2016.